welcome to the first episode of Hidden in Plain Sight. We are your hosts. I'm Jenny. I'm Joe. I'm Echo. Great. So let's go ahead and just uh, introduce ourselves and tell you a little bit about um, who we are and what we have in store for this podcast. Um, who wants to go first? Um, I am an organizational psychologist who works primarily in the areas of uh, people analytics space. And um, my academic research that is more concerning about Asians and Asian Americans experiencing the workplace. And this is how I met Duck and Jenny. Um, I am an active member at Karen Black's work group. Um, and I'll be so excited to share both my working and my study experience with our listeners. Uh, all the things that I shared and expressed here in this episode and the future episodes will only represent my own personal opinions. It has nothing to do with my professional uh, affiliation. Nice. Thank you, Echo. Um, I can go next. Um, hi, my name is Duke Nguyen. Uh, and by training, I'm an organizational psychologist as well, too. I uh, got my PhD from Columbia University, met uh, Jenny and Echo about 10 years ago when we uh, did some work together that we're about to publish pretty soon. Um, so I'm really excited about that. On the side, I do, um, I have a background in doing um, uh, recruitment selection and onboarding uh, and uh, some executive leadership as well, too. Uh, currently, I'm working on, uh, I'm working for a government agency uh, in, um, in assessment. So I'm continuing to uh, hire people. And of course, also talking about the biases that happen in the pre-employment setting and making that uh, those things, or at least bringing awareness to the biases that exist out there uh, in the system so that we can create a fair, more just system to bring in the best talent. Uh, and of course, my opinion, uh, my opinions uh, on this podcast reflect my feelings that I have and not necessarily the agencies that I work for. Hi, um, so my name is Jenny Kim. I'm also a organizational psychologist. I've gone back and forth between industry and academia, but currently I'm in um, I'm working as a research professor at a university. Uh, my research focuses on uh, health and work equity. And I just have to echo what um, Echo and, and Duck said. Um, I, I met these two amazing people in, in grad school, and you know they're just the type of people who you not only want to work with, if they're smart, they're intelligent, they get things done, but they're also just genuinely good, nice people um, that you also want to you know um, hang out with. Um, and I think that speaks to why we are, you know, doing this podcast together on a, on a weekend. On that note, uh, I think we can go ahead and kind of talk, kind of talk about what the purpose of this podcast is. You know, it's still evolving, but I don't know, just briefly talk about like what was the motivation behind um, doing this podcast. I could take a first stab at that, um, and you know, you you two feel free to chime in. The reason for launching this podcast was to just kind of talk about, you know, things that are relevant to the Asian slash um, Asian American professional work experience in the U.S. Talking about what it's like to be, you know, Asian in predominantly white spaces, what it's like to be Asian in, you know, the corporate work setting and how does 
you know, current events, the media, you know, whatever is going on in the rest of the world affects how Asians show up in the workplace, how they are perceived in the workplace. And we wanted to spotlight the fact that oftentimes when there are discussions on, um, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, often Asians um, and Asian Americans are not included in that conversation because of the model minority myth. Maybe before we proceed, um, does one of you want to just briefly, just briefly define what the model minority label is? Yeah, sure. I can take a, a stab at that. So the mo- model minority myth is, um, in a way, what uh, how Asians are viewed now, right? And I think we were talking about the past a little bit. Uh, and of course, some of these historical um, aspects play a role uh, in it as well, too. But uh, right now, the model minority myth is that Asians are well-educated and they are financially well-off and they don't experience racism, um, which is unfortunate because maybe... Um, that is not, um, um, you know, if we take a look at household income and uh, uh, disaggregate it, you can actually see that there are actually certain groups of Asians that actually don't do as well. And when we actually lump all Asians together, um, it kind of, um, uh, those who actually need the help or uh, are not as successful in a way, um, in a way are shamed because they're not as successful as the overall group. Uh, And that's unfortunate. Uh, Sometimes actually this model minority myth can actually be utilized as a wedge as well too, between uh, uh, different groups of people, right? So uh, in this instance, like you, you can kind of hear the conversation about like um, potentially with even blacks and Hispanics, they'll say like, well, Asians have been here for only so many decades and look how successful they are. And, why aren't you guys successful? And it's really unfortunate that it sometimes uh, sounds like something positive, like, oh, Asians are so successful, but we get used as a wedge in the conversation or race, but we're not included in it, which is really unfortunate because we don't get to jump in there and say, hey, wait a second, don't use as a, us as a wedge, don't use us against uh, each other. And there's a lot of differences amongst the groups, depending on when they immigrate to the U.S. or how they immigrated to the U.S. So please don't paint us with a broad uh, brushstroke, um, you know. And you know, I think the nice thing about it here is that we get to kind of break it down and dissect it a little bit more, and kind of interject with our perspective and our view of you know of history and data and our opinion on like everyday things as well too. Um, And to say that Asians have not experienced racism, my goodness, Uh, it's just been a little bit underreported, the fact that some of the stuff that's been happening in 2020, you know, the sad thing is like, it doesn't surprise me because historically it's been happening. Uh, It's just being reported on it more. Uh, So maybe this is kind of just the jaded side of me that kind of sees this and, you know, uh, when we talk about the model minority myth that, you know, uh, Asians are economically successful than other groups, uh, don't experience racism, well-educated, that's not necessarily true all the time. And we want to take, you know, um, I don't know, like there's a part of me that wants to bring people in and have their, uh, their best selves, of course, but, you know, we can't lump uh, groups of people together and say, 
that's how we know if you, I mean, that's how stereo effects work. Yeah, if I were able to just add to that, one of the goals for me to have this opportunity to share this experience with two of you is, one, I also felt like giving our path like working relationship and also even like outside the professionals, I were also good friends uh, in private. And I felt like every time when I talk to two of you, it's a seropedic, is that the right word? Um, healing for me. It's a healing experience for me that I felt like it's not only just venting, but also helping me to really understand why that happens. And I think that's important as like we trained as org psychologists trained to do. Like sometimes we see this thing happening, but we also train to understand why this is happening. So the things that you mentioned earlier about the model minority myths, like why this is really happening, what contribute to that, what consequences it will bring to. I love to unpack this with two people, and that's one. And the second piece there is also, I is thinking about like our potential like listeners. I don't want only like Asians listen to our podcast. I also want to make this available for people who want to get to know us. And even if they don't, and occasionally if they heard heard us, and this they know what we were thinking about. And I, I think sometimes they start from there. Like they we're trying to like having that conversation with people who are other than ourselves. Um, I, I wanted to make that happen. So I, I think that's for me, like that's also two important things for me to having this podcast with you too. You know, I, I agree with you. Um, I feel like these conversations are very cathartic. You know, I, my hope is that there are people out there who can realize that they're not alone and that the, this is, you know, a systemic problem and hopefully we can share resources and, you know, some, you know, pieces of advice based on uh, science, based on the research to help spotlight some of these issues that, you know, a lot of Asian, Asian American professionals are facing. Yeah. Jenny, if I can just add to that, um, I remember growing up in Iowa and, um, um, you know, trying to figure out the whole, I'm the first one in my family to go to college, so I'm trying to figure out scholarships. Uh, and I didn't do as well on the ACTs and my standardized tests and did okay in high school, but I wasn't stellar. Uh, like, you know, my nieces and nephews now, of course, I don't tell them that. <laughs> I was out of auto minority. And now that my, my nieces and nephews are doing well, I'm doing the whole Asian uncle thing where I'm like, hmm, okay. <laughs> now if they listen to this, they'll know how I really feel about it. But, uh, you know, um, I was applying to scholarships and I was trying to figure out like, what do I, like, do I, do I qualify as some of these like uh, minority scholarships? And come to find out, and this person wasn't doing it maliciously, and it's, it was more than one person, really, um, um, faculty member helped me out. Um, and I was uh, bringing up, like, uh, yeah, I was wondering if you like, you need some scholarships. And this person said, yeah, there's some minority scholarships, but you're the wrong minority. You know, uh, and it's just, um, it's kind of frustrating to hear that, because I'm like, uh, what do you mean wrong kind of minority? Like my family, like left everything for Vietnam, came over here with nothing with a, other than a, a box of clothes for a family of seven. Like, what does that mean to be the wrong minority? Like how much, like how much do I need? I couldn't say this at the time and I couldn't verbalize it at the time. 
like, how much do I need to convey that I need help as a first generation college student? How much financial uh, need do I need to demonstrate as a, a part of a family that just came over to the U.S.? Um, so what I really then uh, kind of learned from that is that just don't apply because you may not apply or I may not apply to this. Uh, and even when I did, you know, it's really frustrating because I was uh, reinforced with this. I actually didn't. So when like scholarships like the McNair scholarship that um, that allowed um, uh, minorities, uh, assist minorities to actually get their doctorate. Um, I didn't apply for it because I'm like, I thought it was the wrong minority. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do it because I'll probably just get turned down. So why put in all this work? So there's this learned helplessness as well, too, because after a certain point, you're like, why, why do I even want to try? Why do I want to want to do this? I realize now that, look, if I don't try, I don't say anything. It's not going to change. All right. And I think this is why we have this conversation or we, why we're trying to create uh, the the discussion for this is that if we don't have these discussions, things aren't going to change. And uh, the frustrations that we have within our generation will be passed on to our nieces and nephews and potentially even our children as uh, they grow up. And for me, that's something that would actually keep me up at night and would bother me. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's a great example that illustrates how harmful the the model minority stereotype can be you know it makes us question uh whether we are people of color and whether we are a you know underrepresented or um you know marginalized group no that's why we're doing this podcast because we want to spotlight these issues we want to 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 help dismantle um the model minority myth um, and demonstrate to people that, hey, you know, we also experience um, systemic discrimination and this is what it looks like. I love that, Jenny. I feel like for me, uh, nothing can be more valuable use of the time. to call out to our listeners is uh, three of us actually also share a somewhat very different uh, cultural and ethnic background in terms like who we that that shaped who you are um, so I actually came to the states about this is actually 10 years ago and I came to the states for my graduate study um, and at the time I was actually trained by it as an engineer uh, and I have not had any trainings in like psychology or like I, I read a lot of books in psychology, but I never thought that like I would become a psychology one day. Um, but one thing that has triggered that dramatic transition back then was um, was actually the first job hunting experience out of my college by training that I was trained as a patrician engineer. And then um, I went to the campus recruit my um I, I record that time that they were telling me oh don't bother to apply because we don't have ladies room on the oil rig i was like oh interesting um so i literally like spent four years and and have no job prospect in front of me 
Um, so that being said, I did ended up by uh, hired by a U.S. based oil company back then, and that's where I uh, started my professional life. That I learned, oh, there's a there's a space called workplace diversity. There's a place called uh, women leadership. There's a place called um, the the leadership development because GD at back then was very big on like leadership and from like all the Jack Welch uh, era. And um, and from there, I get to learn um, and met a few organizational psychologists who were designing their performance management system, their leadership development programs. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And I can also unpack some of the dynamics, why I couldn't be hired as an engineer uh, when I first started um, by some other firms. So, um, and that's how I got to learn a discipline called organizational psychology. And even at the time, like I have no clue on like what will be trained on, but I, I did make that bold decision, came all the way from China to the US um, and then joined my uh, study here um, and joined Karen's work and met those two lovely people here. You know, that's crazy, the fact that you graduate from an engineering program only to realize that there might not be uh, a spot for you um, simply because you're a woman. I mean, that that's just insane. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I do have a, a really good, like, a friend I'm still keep, keeping in touch uh, with. They, they, work, they did it, ended up, like, staying in the uh, oil industry. And uh, I think over the past few years, there has been like tremendous change in terms of like, the culture and how the company policies started to value more and more on that. I think it does speak to some whatever concept that we learned on like uh, PJ fit, uh, which is like a person job fit. And sometimes like, especially in the oil industry, like given the work, um, even if you're working as, a, as an engineer, not just like as a as a worker there that you still need to like they they usually like those places are like it's far away from the city like you have to drove or even like there are only places that you can only get the using the helicopter to get into so there speaks to some challenges that do speak to like why the the industry has been dominated by male um over the many 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 years and I think that concept applies to what we will be focusing on this episode or like the future episode as well is um, it's the it's a perspective of like being a minority, like what's what's that um, look like? With that, I will also pass over to Jenny and Doug to share their previous experience with us. So speaking of representing different ethnicities, so I'm Korean American. I. I was born in um, the U.S. And, and then because of my dad's job, we, we moved to the Caribbean where I spent you know, several years and then back to the U.S. and then to Korea and then back to the U.S. I, I've sort of had a very different upbringing than some of my um, fellow Asian American friends. You know, I, when I was in the Caribbean, you know, all of my friends were um, you know, black and brown. And then when I was going to school in um, Korea, all of my friends were Korean. And, you know, that was interesting to, to be part of the, the majority. Um, and so having those experiences early on, I think, really shaped my core identity in that, uh, you know, when I went to middle school and high school, um, I went to a pretty predominantly white school. 
And um, you know, during that time, I never felt ashamed or felt like I had to hide parts of my Asian identity. And I think part of the reason why was because of that early formative experience that I had, where I was part of the majority group, where I was, um, where I had very diverse, you know, classmates. And so, yeah, I've I've been very lucky in that sense. And so that certainly has affected how I view the world and how I navigate, you know, the the workplace, um, you know, school, etc. Um, as an Asian um, American. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story with us, Jenny. So a little bit uh, about me. Uh, so uh, I actually was born in Vietnam. My family came over to the U.S. on refugee status. Uh, I have brother, a brother and a sister that's our, uh, that's half American. We uh, lived in a refugee camp for about six months before coming to the uh, to, to Iowa. We didn't choose to live in Iowa. Uh, it was where we were placed. It's where, um, there was low skilled labor available for refugees at the time. And we were placed in uh, Davenport, Iowa. You know, as I was growing up, I also got a chance to see or hear about the experiences that my mom and my uh, family had to go through. Uh, I also had to, uh, I also worked as, um, um, illegally on a blueberry farm when I was about uh, 11, 12. Also got a chance to see what or how um, immigrant labor uh, was, uh, how, how it was to work from like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and be exhausted by 7, uh, by 7 8 uh, p.m. Um, and a lot of these things have really played a role in um, my wanting to understand, like, like me wanting to understand myself. So uh, when I started college, I was, uh, I was always a psychology major. I started because I wanted to understand about myself and wanted to learn a little bit more about myself. It turned out I found something about Iowa psychology that you can actually apply psychology to the workplace and actually make a decent living out of it. So I went down that route uh, and I just continued on. And part of this journey for me has really been trying to understand myself and learning from the psychological principles that are there and also realizing that there have been, you know, systemic issues that uh, have been plaguing the U.S. for a long time and it continues to do that. Uh, and the thing with, I think, some of these things that, um, that are systemic, you know, it may take a long time to change, but it takes people speaking up. It takes people learning and growing with each other to do that. And, um, you know, there's always been this part of me that's like, I've been waiting for someone to kind of step up and talk about this. Uh, and I think I would say like maybe the last two or three years, I realized that I have to be one of those people. I have to step up. I have to talk about this. I have to continue the conversation that someone else started uh, about equity, about fairness, to make sure that we don't perpetuate certain things uh, that uh, that are persisting or that are unfair to other folks. Um, so really, you know, um, a lot of my um, family's experience that I've heard from, experience I heard from my community, experience I've had myself, have really driven me and motivated me to do something about this. And I'm so grateful that we have, uh, in a way, in a way created our own little platform with this to have a discussion, have a conversation with community members about their experiences 
how they feel uh, marginalized, how they feel empowered, and how we can go about, you know, continuing this conversation uh, so that, you know, uh, we learn from each other and we make our community a little bit better day by day. Uh, and I'm really excited to really just work with Echo and Jenny on this because we've been working together for about 10 years on and off, and we're still working with each other. I wanted to pick back on a topic that Doug mentioned earlier on like, sometimes the positive stereotypes can also be helpful. Like being viewed as like a model minority, like as like that's a label that Asian has been carried for for ages. Um, and, and I also realized there's a huge gap or the difference that among the Asian community now, like we, we seen like on one hand, Netflix recently just released a new uh, season on Bling Empire. I don't know if you two actually saw any news on that one, but that is a reality TV show rich Asian Americans uh, who lived a dramatic different life. I, I, I stopped watching TV like, I want to say like 18 years ago when actually reality TV started uh, getting popular. So I, I think the last TV show I watched was actually The West Wing uh, because I was into politics and I wanted to learn how uh, it worked. Uh, I think Aaron Sorkin's a great writer. Um, I saw bits and pieces of it. Look, if I could be honest about this, like there's parts of, I don't know, um, parts of advancement of Asian, Asian Americans. I'm like, like there's a part of you that wish that that wasn't being advanced. I'm sorry. I've heard of it, but I, I haven't watched it. I don't think I'm going to watch it. I'm glad to see like more in the Asian, more and more in the Asians be showed up in like in front of the tv shows in the movies and we see more and more their appearance so we're not just on the invisible group uh, or uh, invisible others but the fact that what it conveys like that actually stereotyping like asians every asians you meet is like rich and economically um well off it's it's just wrong to me. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't think that actually helping and to a certain degree that actually reinforced that stereotype. I'm like, Hey, you guys are good. You don't need help. <laughs> yeah. Echo, I'm totally with you. I feel like I, so I saw a bit of it. Like the, I want to say like last, I want to say a year ago. So I saw a bit of it. Maybe it was, I don't know if it was an entire season, but I think it was at least one, two episodes because like I was over on a holiday uh, for the holidays in, in Jersey. And like my nieces, like, this is what I love about this. Like, uh, you know, the, next, uh, the the younger generation is like, like they're willing to like, like uh, educate me on what they're going through and to see that, you know, they're engaging like, okay, the fact that we have Asian representation on like fresh off the boat. Like I didn't think it was a big thing until they made it a big thing, started talking about it and it got me to talk about it. And they showed me Bling Empire and I'm like, and I think, what, what was there some Vietnamese people? Yeah, I think there were like one or two casts were like with me. I, I saw that and Echo, you're absolutely right. It perpetuates the, uh, you know, uh, Asians are well off and the fact that I, I saw Vietnamese people on there that are well off, it kind of frustrated me a little bit because you're right, it perpetuates the financial well off. Like you don't have any problems. The problems that you have are every day and very little that you blow up. And I I couldn't really 
empathize with the problems that they were going through, right? If uh, if uh, something was not perfect enough or good enough, like, you know, like for me, the problems that I run into with my family is like, you know, um, I got nieces and nephews that I'm trying to prep for college. And because I know their parents didn't go to school in the U.S. and go to college in the U.S., it's up on me to help them figure out like how do you navigate first first year? How do you make friends? How do you go to parties and not uh, do something stupid or get roofied or overdrink and do something stupid or fail class and how you go about talking to, uh, about that and coming back from that? Like those are the things I talk to my nieces and nephews about. And those are the things I worry about and things I worry that would happen to them. Not if it would, but if it could and if it did, how do I address this with them? You know, so the problems that they have, I know it's for TV and all that, and I get it, um, but it really just like, in terms of a rep representation, like I didn't feel like it represented, um, you know, at least uh, the problems that I, that was close to my heart. And for me, the fact that it perpetuated certain things, it actually just frustrated me. I bet you're not alone in thinking that. Um, I, I bet there were a lot of people who thought this doesn't speak to my experience. Um, and you know, I, I don't think that show, I haven't watched it, but I don't think it will resonate with um, the majority of Asian Americans who are watching that show. On a slightly different topic, um, what do we think about names and, and the things we do to, to, to fit in? You know, one thing that comes up um, often is, you know, the, the price that we pay to fit in. And uh, I think there's a phrase for it. It's called whitening your resume or whitening your, um, you know, whatever to fit in. Um, you know, what are our thoughts on that? Can I tell you a funny story? I almost did change my name. So when I got back in the early 2000s. So here's the thing. Um, so my sister, who's seven years older than me, um, she's like, in the back of my mind, she's like, you got to make sure we get citizenship because as a green card holder, so when we came over, we were green card holders, permanent resident. And because we came over on refugee status, actually our green card actually didn't expire, right? So we could have just stayed as green card holders, but my sister, uh, and I don't give her enough credit. So I'm actually glad we're, 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 we're doing this. So I can actually give her credit. She's seven years older than me. She's like, we're going to get everybody citizenship. So she applied to be a citizen. She took the tests. She told me the importance of it. She's like, here's a hundred questions, study them. And for me, I'm like, this stuff's easy. This is American history. I got this, no problem. We put my application when I was 17 and it went through and I wasn't old enough. Uh, so it gets rejected. Re reapply again, right? September 11th happens, the fee goes up. They reject my application um, um, uh, again. Because the fee, the fee went up. By the time the, the next round we actually put the application in, the fee went up because September 11th happened, and there was a. It seems like maybe there was a, 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 a bolt of increase in applications for citizenship, um, and I it's rejected because the, the the check that we sent in was not the right. Third time we do it, we actually get it. Um, they had uh, they sent me to uh, I think. Um, Naperville, Illinois to get fingerprinted, Des Moines, Iowa to do the test, and um, Cedar Fall, um, Cedar Rapids, Iowa to uh, actually get sworn in. 
So if you know those locations, they're actually pretty far from each other. If you did not navigate that, like good luck to, to you. Um, but as I was getting my citizenship, I thought about like, hey, uh, I had friends in high school that were changing their names to, I'm gonna pick on them a little bit. They'll know who they are. Uh, Chris, Tommy, Tommy with two eyes to differentiate, you know, from the, from the, from the I, E, and the Y, which I'm like, okay, okay, look, um, look, I don't know if this is me being um, overly confident or just, I don't know, but, um, or what's the other word for it? Um, I'm drawing a blank uh, uh, on it. Um, but uh, I always thought like, look, I can, I can utilize my name and I can get away with it because I think I break enough stereotypes that by the time they meet me, they'll, they'll figure uh, things out and they'll realize that, oh, you know, he's one of the ones that came uh, later on and was able to acclimate in all this. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Overconfident. I'm like, you're overconfident when you can back it up. Right. So, uh, but at one point, you know, I'm like, maybe I should change my name. And I thought about, I'm going to change it to Cervantes. <laughs> Cervantes. Miguel <laughs> uh, de Cervantes, the, 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 the author of uh, Man of La Mancha, right? Because I was like, I was like this idealistic person, like chasing at windmills, leaning into it, right? Uh, at 20. I realized, like, you know, if I change my name from Joke to Cervantes, it may not help me anymore to just have it as a joke. So I think I'll just keep it as a joke. The other story behind it is that Duke is uh, the name that is given to me uh, t uh, from my dad. And I have brothers whose name mean uh, luck, fortune, uh, prosperity, uh, and all that. So in a way, like my, my name means, I joke about it, it means like average. And that's why I strive for our life. But what it really means, it means to get. So you put me in the circle of fortune, luck, prosperity. I'm the one that's to get. And in a way, I've tried to embody that. And I know that in my heart, I joke around with it, but I know that in a way, this is my role in the family is to bring them the fortune, luck, prosperity, that beauty that life brings to us. And hopefully that's the role I'm playing uh, for them. I don't know, that's, I, I can't change my name because it's, it's too beautiful. Yeah, yeah, wow. So agentic, so it means to get. <laughs> to get. That is so you, Doug. I can't imagine you with any other name. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk about names. Like, Echo, you, you have... It's so simple. It's because people always confuse my last name and first name because there's only... It's hard for people here. Like, they don't know, like which one going to be like my first name, which one going to be my last name, and they put this wrong, and every time I have to correct them. And so I I was like, okay, I'm just going to pick an English name. And so, and then by default, it's also like, hey, now I can see more and more people are starting to change their names back to their own, like either Chinese name or like a Vietnamese or Japanese name. Uh, back then, it wasn't even like, Cause I have like my English picked uh, name picked up when I was in high school or even like before that, when I first started to learn English, cause that's supposed to what you is supposed to do uh, as you're starting like an English learner. Um, and, but I deliberately having like one more C in my name, 
um and um i think one thing is like this like structural balance i'm trying to get like i always feel like echo itself is just so too simple and too thin and having one more in it five like for some reason like i feel like it's strike the right balance of the length of the name and um and also i've well but it does come from like asian english so it actually like it's spelled as like ECCHL instead of ECHL, but it started to evolve in the modern English that people just simplified it. Um, so I added one more thing there. And later on, you know what? What this has um, effect on at my work, pay extra attention to get my name right. Um, and I just use that as a simple check these days. Um, yeah, don't tell other people, but for listeners who listen to this episode, you'll know that. <laughs> Nice. So if you see that someone spells your name correctly, you're like, they get brownie points. Oh, they are. They are. Like, I will be so nice to them. Um, I, <laughs> I, or at least, like, they are paying attention to other people. Yeah. Uh, it's not just, like, taking this, like, for granted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I have that problem because um, my name is Jennifer Kim. And I, at least once a week, someone calls me Kim. Yeah, and sometimes it's people that I've worked with for months, and then that's when I'm just like, wait, does this person just like, is this person like senile or just like, does this person just not care? Like, are you that out of touch that you're calling someone that you've worked with intimately for the past six months, you know, a wrong name? Frustrating. It's frustrating. So I always, sometimes I let it slide and sometimes I correct them. But um, yeah, going back to the name, so I I was always. Um, known by my Korean name, Youngjin. Um, and I was born Youngjin Kim. But um, when my mom realized that we were going to spend most of our time in the US, she said, um, I want to give you an American name. So she chose Jennifer for me. And, you know, I, I always found that interesting, because I think I was about like nine or 10 when she added that to my, um, to all of my documents, right, my passport, my social security card. Um, but like her, her reasoning was, you're never going to get by with an Asian name. And so, you know, I'm going to change that for you. But yeah, I mean, it was interesting because my, even my mom, she had a very, she had a name that was kind of hard to pronounce. Um, so she also changed her name. She um, got her citizenship. But yeah, it was, it was very interesting to kind of see that and have your mom's, you know, have your parents say that to you from an early age. So I, I kind of had that sort of perspective, like, oh, the U.S. is not a good place for anyone who is not American passing, anyone who is not, like, in my mind, white, like white or white passing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it does speak to this fact of, like, um, I think there are studies out there, like, how, like, the name can really change your job aspect or the application for your job. Um, and I think the one that we've seen the most in the past have done is, like, the name sounds like a black people person versus like white, but even like this Asian kind of thing is interesting because I almost feel like you have to pick an Americanized Asian name, meaning like, hey, your last name could be like as like Asian, but your first name the better to be like Americanized because then people assume that you have lived and worked in the states for 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 a long time and and then you you are westernized enough to to work with them. But because you're also like 
Asian, so you must be a hard worker. So I also feel like that's like a golden combination for someone wanting to apply for an entry level job. I haven't got a chance to test it out, but I I thought that would be an interesting study. <laughs> it's kind of a double edge, isn't it? I mean, in a way, like you may you have the 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 chance to change your name, but like in a way, like that name in a way ties to your identity. So you're casting a, in a way either part of yourself away or uh, um, or casting a, a new light upon this new name, this new identity that you have to kind of create for yourself. And it may not be who you are, but I feel like it it could, you know, I feel like it hinders folks as just whole human beings. And that's unfortunate that, you know, that's what they have to do to even get, you know, their resume uh, onto the pile or to be seen. Uh, and I think like, even if you do that, uh, you know, Echo, you mentioned that even if you do that, your last name could be something that gives it away that you may be Asian. Um, I mean, you can go through another route where you could marry and change your last name as well, too. So you can change your first name and your last name. Um, and I don't know, there's a, for me, like when I was thinking about that, like, where does it stop? Like, where can I just be me? Where can I just like, look, if I suck at certain things and that's who I am, and I suck at it and I'm a confident, that's fine. I'm not, you know, I'll be okay with it, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change my name to please you. Um, so like in growing up in Iowa, like sometimes people will ask me like, hey, do you have an American name? And of course I was like honest with it in the beginning. And I said, no. And of course, like, you know, Jenny, how you hinted that with your mom saying like, you're not going to be able to get away with this. And here I am this, like, I'm, I'm a little stubborn about this. Right. And I'm like, I'll show you, <laughs> you know? So when, you know, later on, I think in my college years and people ask me like, Hey, do you have an American name? I'm like, yeah. And they get real excited. They're like, Oh, what is his American name? I can't wait because now I can pronounce it. I tell them it's Duke and they get, <laughs> they get, they get that look at their face. I'm like, Oh, you set me up for this. Huh? Yeah, you're not gonna. You're not, I'm not getting no crumbs. No, no crumbs. You call me by my name. You call me by my name the incorrect way, the way I want it to be said, and that's what we're gonna go with. <laughs> and I guess maybe that's the type of person I am. I'm like, you know, no. Look, I had to learn a whole new language to navigate this. You can learn my name. It's okay. It's okay. You can say it wrong. It's okay. Say my name. I feel like this section, this segment that we have, we're gonna have Destiny's Child's. Say like that song, say my name, right? Say my name. Oh yeah, maybe that's the name of our episode today. I, I love that. I love that. Do we want to spend some time talking about the name of our podcast? So, Doug suggested hidden in plain sight. Could you kind of explain why why you chose that? And you know, we all jumped on it, and I think it really resonated with with um, all of us, including me. I, I love I love that play on words. I love what it means. But can you provide some context? Sure, sure. So um, in a way, I mean, I really love this exercise that we're, we're doing uh, together as a team. And I mean, um, in a way, like sometimes, like for me, how I feel with like Asian and Asian Americans is that like we're hidden in plain sight. Like we have the knowledge, the skills and the abilities, right? But we don't get recognized for the leadership that we have, the managerial skills that we have, the competencies that we have beyond the core skill set or the, you know, maybe even the 
stereotypical uh, skill set that we have, right? And for me, what I really want to reiterate with other folks is that we're here, right? And we're here to stay, and we have the skill set, right? You got to see us though. So I felt like it played on certain stereotypes that of Asian Asian Americans that sometimes we're invisible, we're right here, but people can't see us. We're three psychologists, we're three Asian Asian American people working in the U.S. trying to make it. Like we have the core competencies, we're trying to make a name for ourselves. And for me, I thought, I think the original was what three psychologists, right, hidden in plain sight. Freud. Right? When you think of psychologists, who do you think of? Do you think of yeah, Freud, um, Young, uh, I'm blanking on, uh, like, oh, young, yeah, yeah. yeah, Jung, right? Yeah. So old white guys, uh, dead Hunt. old white guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. Now we're going to add three extra names to it. We're going to add Echo That's Yu, right. Jennifer Kim, and Duke Wynn. Hidden in plain sight here to talk about, you know, everyday things uh, that affect us and potentially affect you guys too. Um, so that's my perspective on it. Uh, and it sounded like you guys, uh, both of you guys really liked it. So tell me a little bit more about your thinking and your process uh, about this and what, okay, uh, uh, why you, you uh, thought this was Sure, interesting. I mean, I I completely agree with what um, Duck said. I feel like Asians are, um, we're here and some of us have been here not just for a few decades, some of us have been here since the 1800s. You know, if you go, we're talking about generations and, and yet Asians are still seen as foreign. They're still seen as not American. So in, in that way, they're made to feel invisible as American citizens or just like people who live in the U.S. And I'm sure it's, it's similar to, you know, Asian Canadians living in Canada, like no matter how long your family has been in that country. If you are not white, you're going to be seen as, you know, the perpetual foreigner. Mm. Um, and, and so that's one of the reasons why I, I really, really love that name, um, Hidden in Plain Sight. Like, we've been here for generations, we've been here for decades, and yet you don't treat us like, like we're part of this country. And so, um, you know, I think it puts our plight and some of the struggles mm. that we have to deal with front and center and I, I feel like that's going to be a central theme that we talk about, you know, throughout our podcast. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I love that word plight. I feel like if we had like the video on, we'd have to put what plight like <laughs> underneath. <laughs> yeah. If I were also like add, add to that, um, I think this also speak to like I, I know this is more of like a Chinese saying, but I pretty sure like English uh, has a similar uh, meaning to it. Is like real gold never lo- uh, loses its shine, or like a gold always shine everywhere. Um, so almost to feel like this name also speaks to that if we're real gold, um, and it will always like be seen by other people. So I, I like how, or maybe I can adding this too much to it, but um, if the the first night is hitting in the plain side, but the 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 second night will be the the gold can shine everywhere. There's a there's actually a very similar Vietnamese saying to that echo. 
um, it's it's um, Southside in Vietnamese. Uh, Yang Peak Kong Sao Lu, which means real gold ain't afraid of fire, right? Because the fire will, will burn the gold down, but it'll just melt it, and it'll, you can come back and you remelt the gold into whatever you want, like diamonds to get, you know, disintegrated. Everything else will turn into ash, but real gold is not afraid of fire because it'll just melt it, and you can bring it back to whatever shape you want it to be. So, I love that byline. Well, you got to be 24 karat if you're not. We're, 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 we got problems, right? If you got other impurities in there, it's got to be 0.999. <laughs> and there's always like an Asian obsession with the gold. Like, <laughs> so we're not yellow; we're golden. <laughs> yeah, we're golden for sure. Oh yeah. Um. So to close off. On this episode, I did ask our um, AI augmentation assistant, ChatGPT, to write us a poem about this episode or our podcast. Do you two want to hear it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. Um, three psychologists with microphone in hand, ready to spill the tea on Asians in the workplace. Grand, they'll dish on bias. And culture shock with glee, making workplace struggles sounds like a silicon TV. They'll make you laugh, or maybe even cry. But one thing for sure, you'll never say bye bye to stereotypes after tuning in their show, or grab your snacks and let the good times roll. Woo! That's great. ChatGPT wrote all that on its own. Yeah. What was the prompt? The prompt is just literally like uh, make a poem for upcoming podcast hosted by three psychologists discussing Asians experiencing the workplace. Yeah, well, maybe that's how we end every single episode from here on out with a haiku. Every single episode, right? Yeah. Mm, I love it. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Check us out again. We are your podcast on all things Asian in the workplace. Catch you later. Bye.